There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to the show. Yes, if you want to join us for some fun next week, but a very serious side to it because we want to send one of you and a friend, two of you, return flights, thanks to Emirates, to Dubai. And included as well, a four-night stay in a top-class hotel. That prize comes to us thanks to the people, the wonderful people, Sandra Finnegan and the crew in Globe Travel and Emirates as well. Thank them sincerely for it. It's a wonderful prize. How do you get into the mix next week? Now, right away, you can WhatsApp or text me. Globe Travel, I'm looking for those two words. Globe Travel, text or WhatsApp us to 086-1800-658 with your name and details and you're in the mix for next week. When we call you, there's only one answer, isn't there, Louise? There's only one thing you have to do. That's you it. have to sing a few little words on the phone when we call you next week. Late lunch, Monday to Friday. Fly me to Dubai. How am I doing? Does that sound okay? You did fantastic. A little bit of melody in that, is there there? You have to answer the phone with that little song. And if you do, on you go. You're getting closer to going to Dubai. Two of you, return flights with Emirates and four nights in a wonderful hotel. Stay tuned to Late Lunch to find out more. Now, Louise, will you just hit something that you have queued there till I let the listeners have a listen to this? We're going back in time. Memories, memories. It's in here, Beanie. The secret recipe for bachelor's beans. But Barney, that's an open secret. Just open the can and... But what makes them taste better? Shh. That's a saucy secret. Bachelor's, bachelor's. Do you remember them? You don't, Louise. I don't, no. You don't remember them at all. I vaguely remember the characters, but I don't remember that... (laughs) That ad ad was in the 80s uh, for Bachelor's Beans and the two characters were Beanie and Barney. And they were two little cartoon characters and they ran for years with the Bachelor's Bachelor's Beans. Anyone remember them? Remember the series of ads? And there were a series of ads because it continued on through the 80s. Have you the 90s one there? Let's hear what they were saying in the 90s. It changed a little bit, didn't it? Here we go. This is the 90s Bachelor's. Easy Beans. What you singing about, Benny? About the greatest thing since bachelors make beans bomb and new easy beans. Hey, there's barbecue. Curry and paprika. And spicy baked beans. All in handy size for two or three. Gee, but we got no can opener, Benny. How's this for openers, Barney? <laughs> easy, easy beans. beans. Dooby dooby doo. New easy beans from. 
Yes, Easy Beans from Bachelors. We just missed the Bachelors there at the end. Very that jazzy was, that there. Was, you know, before that, you had to get the can opener and open the tin of beans. There was no, you know, the ring, ring pull. Yeah. No such thing. That only came in late 80s, 90s, and they were advertising it there. Was the, it a new phenomenon at the time? Oh, yeah? sure, Lord, we thought <laughs> the world was reinvented back then when we had the ring pull on on the beans. But do you know the opener? I, I take it, have you a can opener now? Yeah, yeah? can't work it at all. Is it manual or one that you just press? No, and it manual. Opens it? Manual, yeah. I have one of those that you turn on the side and it goes around. Sometimes it opens it, other times it cuts down along the yeah, side of like the can. Yeah, like a chainsaw nearly. Yeah. yeah, but you know the other opener that you had to bang, hammer in oh, yeah, and yeah. then rotate the can and, and press against it. You know that type of opener? Vaguely, the, yeah. The old traditional opener. And you'd have to watch because... The ones you on were, a pen knife. Yes. Yeah. It's like the tip of a knife in it and you turn it round. But you, you have to watch you wouldn't cut your hand. You know what I mean? When you were turning the can round, you could nick the skin in your hand. Slice it, w- it open. You know, as you open it because it left a serrated edge oh, on, yeah, on, the, yeah. on the tin as you opened it. It was a devil now. You had to watch it. You'd be better with a, a tea cloth or something trying to open the can. Why How long does ta- it take? Would you bother? Oh no, it'll only take a minute to fly okay. around it once you've got a knack on it. I still have that old opener. And I, I, if I ever get some tins still don't have that ring pull, you have to mm. actually open them. I think of pineapple and that. Give us another lash. Give us another latch of bachelors there. Have you got another one for us? There must be another yeah. ad there. Come on, let's hear it. Suppose Beanie will always have imitations of the real thing, but these seem to contain beans too and sauce and... Ah, but mums know that bachelors contain only the finest baked beans cooked with loving care and smothered in our saucy secret recipe. Ah, hey! You see? It ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it and bachelors do it best. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Beanie and Barney once more with another ad. The reason, why are they talking about beans on late lunch this afternoon? What the hell's going on in there? Well, last evening on social media... We posted a wee video, we did. didn't we? Yeah, we of, did. of myself. On Christmas morning. Do you ever not work? Well, I'm always at the sun. Well, that was a big cooking day. Christmas morning, we have a big fry at home. And just to clarify, people thought it was only beans we were having. <laughs> Sausages, rashers, Hugh Maguire's best black pudding, white pudding, uh, you name it. The works, mushrooms. And sure, you'd have to have the few beans, the fried eggs as well, whatever way you like it, sunny side up, soft. And we have people calling and we feed everybody on Christmas morning. Coming but to your the, house next year. <laughs> the beans are crucial. Open the can of beans. Never happened to me before. Not one bean in the bean can. Not a single bean. You've seen it, haven't I've you? I've seen it. I couldn't believe it. All that Only was in the can was the sauce. <laughs> Loads of sauce. And the amount Oh, not one bean in the bean can. I couldn't believe it. Anything like that ever happened to you, Never. Louise? I tried to think. I don't think so. I know, you know, you might get the odd, you know, the Cadbury snacks. Yes. And there mightn't be any snack in it it might just be pure chocolate yeah. that happened once but I can't say anything about beans or peas or anything like that anybody listening today opened beans recently and found nothing but juice in them or did you open peas or maybe it was a packet of crisps or something did you open some food stuff and you were more than surprised with what you found if you did get in touch with us 086 1800 658 whatsapp us or text us now or you can call in on 1850 you know what to do next year what? Just have a selection box for breakfast like oh, the rest of us. Oh, go where did that, will you? <laughs> for God's sake, leave that later on in the day. But here's the thing. Um, I, it came from a three pack. You know those three packs of medium sized tins, not yep. the small ones, you know the medium size. There were two tins left in the pack. I'd obviously used one on another occasion. Opened the middle one, nothing but juice. And luckily the third 
had. Tin, but only everyone had just a little spoon of beans <laughs> on their plate. There was one tin, the third tin had beans in it. So it was part of a three pack. That uh, saved the day. How does that happen? You'd wonder, wouldn't you? With You'd the, wonder with the weight. Yeah, and, and as well, the way they've been filled on the production yeah. line. But there must have been a blipper. And there'd have to be more than one can, in my opinion, in circulation with just with sauce in it. Batch, yeah. So let's see. Anyone else get a bachelor's beans with just sauce recently? I'd be curious to hear if anybody has. We had lots of comment, hadn't we, on social media last evening? We had. We had loads of people joining in Come the on, conversation. Come on, give us. What were they saying? Anybody it else did actually happen, it? others. Oh, go on. Yep. Go on, tell me. I didn't Angela see Angela Ryan said it happened to them in July, but they had six tins, or six beans in the tin. Um, and well they wrote to the company you. and got an apology and a voucher. So there, you, there go. you go. Well done to you. Um, Mary Doyle said it happened to her twice. Septa Lynch said, uh, yeah, you should send the video to Bachelors and you'll have beans for the rest of your life, Jerry." So there you go. <laughs> I'm not looking for beans for the rest of my life. <laughs> Honestly, I really ain't. But I am looking to see if anyone else. So there's Lorraine two Bellew people, two people well. experienced. Who else? Lorraine Bellew said yeah. it happened to her a few years ago, uh, but she had two beans in the can. Ah, uh, you see, there was not one mm. in this can of... So you're the... Yeah, it was zero. It was just, yeah. and I like the sauce as well. You know what I mean? But a few beans thrown in would be a help. So other people have from time to time. We had a video. Uh, Miriam Carthy posted her video. Right. Of emptying a can like yourself, Jerry. But nothing. Three beans. Three. Yeah. But the rest was juice. So, yeah, mm. you're a bit hard done. Interesting. Like. Interesting. There's one more bachelor's. Have we another little bachelor song? Because I want to just uh, emphasize they're pushing yep. this. Uh, uh, and this is one of their recent ads. Go on, go on. Wonder Bachelors are still Ireland's favourite beans after 80 years. Now that really is something worth celebrating. Isn't that right, lads? Bachelors, the secret's in the sauce. <laughs> the secret may be in the sauce, but there wasn't a bean in my sauce on Christmas morning. <laughs> I think we'll have to call you I'm Jack. I'm getting emotional now about this. <laughs> anyway, we may do. We certainly may do, so we did. But if you've experienced anything in the way of foodstuffs, where... What was in the can wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't there or there was something missing. Or if you have any stories around that, we'd love to hear from you at late lunch. We always do. Give us a shout on the usual numbers, WhatsApp or text 086-1800-658. We'll head to our first break because I'll tell you why. Afterwards, I'm going to be joined by Ashling Lowe. We've met her before on late lunch and she's a wonderful woman. She's really kind-hearted and selfless and she makes up food hampers for families in County Meath and she's been doing it since 2017 and just before Christmas listen to this she donated 77 hampers to families and she's supported by a big network of people she's a hero but she's nearly gone now from hero to zero stay with us on late lunch Ashley. good afternoon good afternoon how are you I'm good thanks for taking my call today um you're a wonderful lady. We've spoken before. I told them just before the break what you've been up to with the food hampers and you're helping people consistently and you had a huge call before Christmas and you met it with the support of so many people. You were honoured by Mead County Council last year. What's happened? Um, well, basically, um, I was here the other day on, on Monday doing what I usually do, organising deliveries and drop-offs and hampers and um, I got a knock at my door and two representatives from Mead County Council um, asked if they could come into my home Um, I asked them who they were they said they were Mead County Council and basically they told me 
that I was no longer allowed to have my food bank cabin at the side of my house as there was a complaint made to the council from a resident regarding the comings and goings and the operation of the food bank and traffic. Uh, where I live in Martin Way, um, I live in a cul-de-sac. So there doesn't really be that much traffic. Um, so I, I was kind of, I was so upset. I was stuck to the floor. Um, today is actually my first day not crying. <laughs> Oh, come on, come on, don't, please. And I know this is a knock to your uh, confidence, I'm sure. But listen, uh, chin up now and and let's just focus in on what's happened here. Mornington Way is where in County Mead? Where exactly is it? Um, It's uh, Mornington Heights Housing Estate in in Trim. In in Trim. Okay, so you're in uh, the town of Trim. And the bona fides, these were council people that called, yes? Um, yeah, the, it was just rep, two representatives, okay. a lady and a man from all right. the county council. And you were happy they were from the council. So look at uh, all the work I've mentioned you've been doing all these years, all the people you've helped. It's from your home. People call and give donations. And do people come and collect from you, those in need? Um, nobody that's in need collects. Okay, you collects deliver. From the food bank. Okay. I have 30 volunteers. Lovely. And they all take it in turns and deliver. Okay, so uh, somebody has complained. And, and, and may I ask you, are, are you in a, a, a Mead County Council house there? I am. Okay, so you're the tenant of the house there and they are the owners. Okay, and, yeah. and, and, and they, they say to you in no uncertain terms leaving, you must stop. Um, they said that I couldn't operate it from my home. And did you say, yes, that's fine, I'll stop? Um, I said I said to them, what am I going to do? I said, I have several families that rely on the service, which I do. I have families who um, are in medical debt that rely on it. Mm. And I have families who are in mortgage distress that rely on it. It might be every second week or every month or so. And then I have people who who rely weekly on small little hampers. Yeah. Um but what what really cut me to the core was um the, the elderly people that we look after in rural areas, they rely on food hamp they rely on the food to be delivered to them. So we have people who are absolutely reliant on your good deed and the the people who support you as well. Without that, they'd go hungry. Yeah, yeah. Um, this morning, um, a lady that, um, you know, we help on a regular basis, um, her, her whole monthly allowance basically goes on paying her mortgage. Yeah. And she has eight children. And her husband's job doesn't really cover all the food in mm. the home. Mm. So um, this lady relies on our help. Now, like that, she has eight children. I can't refuse somebody with eight children help with food. When I have a cabin that was kindly donated, you know, a cabin full of food that was kindly 
donated, you know, in like, you know, as a goodwill to help people. Yeah. So your first thought when you were told this was of the people you're helping, what are they going to do? If I'm not around I if, yeah, if our group I put off my I put off my post public and I just I had to I had to ring my volunteers first before I put that post up. My volunteers were absolutely heartbroken, devastated. Because some of some of our clients are regular clients that we would help that are in, in, in terrible bad situations and in genuine need would have formed a special bond with the volunteers who solely dropped to them people. I, I hear everything you're saying. Now listen, um, I want to ask you these questions. These are vital questions. Have you stopped? H- have you stopped? Has this um, stopped at your house council, now? The council did say to me that day um, because I start getting very upset obviously um, the council said to me that day that I was just to continue giving out the hampers of food to people until they could speak to me partnership um, about maybe securing a room for me to operate from. Okay. But they were meant to get back to me and they didn't. Okay, you've heard nothing. But you yeah. have had an offer, I believe, yes? Yeah, um, I, 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 I couldn't believe it actually last night and um, this morning. Um, Desi Doran and Mick White uh, contacted me on Facebook and said that Padder Tobin was looking for my number. So I gave them my number and this morning Padder Tobin rang me and has offered me space in his constituency office in Trim. Which is after he's after, um, he he doesn't know now what he's actually done. But um, the pe- the amount of people that are going to still be secure and knowing that they're going to be helped whenever they need it. Okay, um, that that is fantastic. It's taken, huge, it's taken a huge weight off of them. I've had nothing only families ringing me crying, asking what are they going to do. If you get the offer from Mead County Council and they come back to you, will you consider that now as well? Um, I, I, I will, but um, I'll see. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, the way my head really isn't weighted now at the minute because it was such a blow over the last mm. couple of days. But um, we'd be hoping that we'd be able to secure our premises. Okay. Can I ask you from from the person who obviously uh, approached Mead County Council, and you have to look at their perspective as well, uh, what they had to say, is there a lot of traffic? Has it increased? Is there a lot of comings and goings? (laughs) I've had, um, I'd say maybe 12, 13 neighbours knock on my door and approach me morning and yesterday and um, they said that it was not there was no traffic problem as far as they're concerned Okay. and that they had absolutely no problem and it was never an inconvenience for anyone on our road. That must be heartening for you to hear that. Let me tell you we it put, is. we uh, uh, Louise was in touch with Mead County Council and we uh, put a question to them and invited them to comment on this and this is what's uh, come to us in, in the last wee while. It says the council cannot comment on matters in relation to individual tenancies 
tenancy agreement set out in detail the basis on which individuals can occupy a council house and the conditions that they must comply with. In cases where the council receives a complaint regarding possible breaches of a tenancy agreement, this is investigated by the housing department to establish if any breach has occurred and what follow-up action may be required. And that's just the short statement from Mead County Council. We thank them for it. They sent it in to us promptly in uh, the last while. So you hear what they are saying there? Yeah, yeah. You understand that, that they have to act, they've had a complaint, they have to investigate and they have to proceed with it. Anyway, they've said to you that continue until they find somewhere alternative for you. You have an alternative offer today. Your clients are happy. Your neighbours have been with you. Don't shed a tear. Please don't. Don't shed a tear at all. You've been doing wonderful, wonderful good. And I know how you must be feeling deep down when that visit happened. But look... Um. Uh, the the food bank now is is so personal to the community. Yeah. Because it's not my food bank. It's everyone's food bank. I understand that. And listen, you just leave it at that today. It's everyone's food bank. I'm sure we're going to hear more about this story. Ashling Lowe, keep up the great work. Lovely to talk to you and Happy New Year and all the best for the next 12 months. And the same to you. Thanks very much. Not at all. You're welcome. Take care of yourself. Ireland commemorating the RIC and Black and Tans would be like loud GAA commemorating Joe Sheridan. I think that is the comment of the week, to be honest with you. Yes, plans for a controversial commemoration of the Royal Irish Constabulary are in bits today after the government was humiliated into cancelling next week's gathering. Now, it's off next week. They say it will happen down the road. But lots of people were talking to us and saying... Who were the Black and Tans? Who who are the or who were the Royal Irish Constabulary? Who were the, who was the force in Dublin as well? And we decided today there's only one man to explain it all to us. Yes, it's historian Sean Collins. Sean, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. Good afternoon. Firstly, I'm not going to put you on the spot at all. I want to deal this just uh, with, with this as an historical piece, if that's okay with, with you. And I want to go right back. The Royal Irish Constabulary. This country was one ruled by Britain until the early part of the 20th century. When were they formed? What roughly what year? Um, well, we had two police forces operating in the country, Jerry. Uh, the RIC, the Royal Irish Constabulary, Constabulary, as you quite rightly say, and the DM. The Dublin Metropolitan Police, who policed, provided all the policing services in the city of Dublin. The RIC were established in 1836 and the DMP were established in 1838. And the country, as you quite rightly said, was ruled by Britain. It was a a statelet of Britain. And this was the government police forces that were carrying out all the police work in the state from that period on. I want to try throw a little caveat in here and something that amazed me but you would know about that in the early part of the early 1800s up to the formation of the RIC between that and when you look to 1911 r- roughly the population of Ireland the island at the early 1800s was 8.1 million by the time 1911 and round then came it was 4.3, Sean. Yes, indeed. Uh, but this, of course, is, is down to the tumultuous years of the early 1800s. Uh, up to 1800, uh, the people lived in the main on a diet of potato, milk, butter and red meat about once a year. And that's deemed to be the perfect diet. And so 
uh, excuse the pun to say it, but they, they bred like rabbits. So we had a population of that level. Unfortunately, from 1802 onwards, we began to suffer from famine. The potato crop failed in 1802. Um, they survived. They salvaged what they could. Maybe they killed a pig or killed a cow or whatever it was. And in 1803, the crop came back. In 1804, it failed again. And we went through that intermittent behaviour for upwards of 40 odd years until in 1845, when the crop failed, it failed again in 1846. And then in 1847, the blight came into the potato. And that's why they talk about Black 47. With the blight, there was nothing to salvage. The potato was completely destroyed. Mass starvation all around the country. But as I say, it had been going on for 40 years. Beforehand. Beforehand. And that's how our population, you know, the, the 4 million plus we lost didn't all disappear in 1847. Yes. It was a culmination of 40 years of uh, starvation, pestilence, uh, emigration particularly. Uh, and that's why you have these massive waves of people in the States who would trace themselves back to being yes. of Irish origin. So, so starvation and emigration combining, that was some drop in figure, 8.1 to 4.3 million. Come back to the RIC, a force for all of Ireland and the Dublin Metropolitan. Here's the thing in the context of the commemoration where religion comes into everything in this country, Sean. 75% of the RIC were Catholics, 25% from the Protestant yes. denomination. 75% were Catholic and Irish. They were Irishmen. Um, the officer class tended to be Protestant and some British. But in the main, they were all Irish. And the same with the DMP. Uh, they were all Irishmen. They, they, a policeman's job was a job. Nonetheless, it was employment. It paid a wage. But the country was controlled by Britain and they were implementing Britain's laws, not Irish ones. OK. And as a force, uh, there were difficulties, I know, on the countryside from time to time, which had to be dealt with and they were fractious. But overall, through the decades from their formation, they dealt with things as, yes. as a police force would? As a police force would. They signed forms and did all the things that any police force would do and have done over the last 200 years. And they dealt with crime and murder and different things that went on in the country at the time. But they were ruled, again, by England and they had to react if somebody rose their hand against England in any way. They suppressed the Fenian Rebellion. Uh, they suppressed, they did all they could to try and destroy Parnell. Um, and things began to get very hot for them, Joe, Jerry, come 1918. So once you turned from the 19th into the 20th century and this push for home rule was happening, independence was on the agenda as well, you know, this this really changed the game for them. Absolutely. Um, 1916, of course, we had the rebellion uh, and this was where people laid down the mark of what they wanted for the future. 1918, the general election of that year, gave the radicals a clear mandate. Uh, they wanted independence. And as well, on the day that the force Doyle sat, uh, having been part of the British Parliament, they decided they weren't going to Britain anymore. They were going to establish their own parliament in Dublin, which they wanted. They set up on Doyle. And on the first day, the Doyle sat in solo headbag in Tipperary, Dan Breen, Sean Tracy and Seamus Robinson killed two policemen uh, protecting um, a shipment of dynamite going to a local quarry. And that's looked on as the start of the war. 
and it became a hotbed for policemen. It wasn't a nice place to be. Many, many Irishmen in the police force, of which, as we already pointed out, predominantly 80%, they began to leave in vast numbers because their neighbours were now shooting at them. They, they, it was war. They were seen as the occupying force or holding up the rules of the occupying force. Uh, to such an extent, uh, the government felt they had to step in uh, to help the police force because the police weren't able to manage anymore. In a report of 1919, uh, the general inspector of the RAC said his men were no longer effective without military support. And did that lay the way or open the door for the Black and Tans? Absolutely. The, the Black and Tans effectively were the establishment answer to what was happening in Ireland. This were, these were the tools that Lloyd George's policies would use to endeavour to suppress the whole notion of a republic or an Irish nation. Before we come further uh, down the road and talk about the Black and Tans, I just want to talk about Ulster for a moment because y- y- you mentioned what happened here. You had Irish men that were suddenly regarded as collaborators with an occupying power. But yet in Ulster, you had the rise up up there as well of the unionist people who organised as well. Wasn't that another issue for the RIC? Absolutely, because the, the RIC were a 32-county police force and they were affected by the events uh, in the, the northern counties as much as in the rest of the country. But, of course, there was a loyalty in the northern counties that had long diminished in the southern ones and hence the, the division that would come with the Government of Ireland Act in 1920. Now, when you talk about black and tans, I can even remember this from my childhood. My parents, I'm sure you do yourself, in, in, in that generation, they had, you know, word of mouth, direct word of mouth from their mothers and fathers and grandparents of the black and tans. And there was, when the words were mentioned... Yeah, they weren't very nice people, Jerry. We can be certain of that. And if I could take you back to um, our 1916 programme, uh, a gentleman rang in at one stage in that programme and uh, he said that the Black and Tans had borne Balbriggan during the 1916 Rising. So they wouldn't be invented for another four and a half years, as we pointed out from. But in the popular psyche, the Black and Tans were blamed for everything. They were the baddies. So... Any struggle that took place, it was always deemed to be the Black and Tans, even though the first Black and Tan only arrived in Ireland in March of 1920. Who were they? Where did they basically come from? What was their backgrounds? The popular myth uh, was that they were the uh, dirt and scum of British prisons. That's what the uh, Sinn Féin propaganda of the time told us. Uh, the records now show, of course, that they weren't. The, the pubs, there were some, but the vast majority were former servicemen. They were first advertised for in November of 1919, where they ran ads saying, join the finest police force in the world, the RIC, come to Ireland, top rates of pay, 10 shillings a day, substantial amount in 1919 and a full pension uh, to the highest level and the real requirement was that you had military service and there were so many young men who had served in the great war were out there were unemployed and they had been battle hardened by the war and here they saw an opportunity to make good money Uh, upwards on 80 percent of the force were recruited in Liverpool, Manchester and London. But 14% 
were recruited in Dublin and about 20% of the overall group were Irish. At their height, how many black and tans were there? 8,800. And Uh, were they a separate division within or beneath the RIC command? uh, They were in the RIC as a support for the RIC. And were they an armed group? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And were the RIC armed at the time? Uh, yes, the, the RIC would carry batons, but in time of conflict, they had rifles and revolvers to carry as well. So these guys, young guys in the main, with a background in the Great War, come to Ireland? Yeah, an average age of 26, uh, generally unskilled men uh, who had p- performed military service. That's what their qualification was. And what was the aim of the game? To suppress the rebellion? The aim of the game was to suppress uh, Michael Collins and his his tit-for-tat war, which was in full flight from Solohead Beg onwards in Ireland. And the main target for most people were the RIC, because they were the physical body on the ground. As I said, many Irishmen departed from it. By 1921, there were no RIC left in Drogheda. They they were gone. They didn't have to be disbanded. They'd all left. And that was the case in many parts of the country because they were the sitting ducks. Um, the black and tans came in. They were well paid, but poorly billeted. And, you know, the IRA had a, a psychological upper hand in that they knew the country. They could attack these guys at the drop of a hat and they suffered badly from the attacks of the IRA. They were brought in, they weren't a military regiment, so when they were first brought into the country, they were the first group were trained at the Phoenix Park, but the vast majority were prepared at Garmanston, uh, just up the road from us here. And uh, in the total period, 8,800 of them were recruited. And were they scattered far and wide across Ireland or concentrated in Dublin and the cities or what? No, they, they were, it depended. You know, you, you, if you look at the map of Ireland at the time, uh, you see that various counties, particularly in the south, Tipperary, Cork, Kerry, were under martial law because of the activities of that were going on by the IRA, particularly. Uh, not around here, uh, they, they, there was so little... Uh, but we did have our victims uh, but there was very little going on in comparison to what was going on down the country but what brought the presence here was the fact that Garmentstown was just up the road up the road from us and here. that effectively was their headquarters Historian Sean Collins is with us today and we're talking about the RIC the Black and Tans Sean were they as bad as the consensus is that, you know, were, were they as evil, were they as vicious, were they involved in so many atrocities, the black and tans? Uh, they certainly were. And, and while we're not making any excuses for them, there was a dirty war going on in Ireland at the time. So they were living under the cash to that extent that they could be shot at, bombed or maimed themselves at any turn. Uh, it doesn't excuse their behaviour. But they were battle-hardened. They were people that had come from the trenches of the Somme and all those places. And they saw a lot of very bad things. And I'm afraid it contributed to their behaviour. Nothing excuses their behaviour, but the people were against them. That's how Collins won the war. The people were against the British. They wanted their independence. And, you know, I was disappointed. A commentator on TV on Monday night uh, said we fought two civil wars. 
And we didn't. We fought a war of independence. We fought a civil war afterwards, but that's a different affair entirely. From 1919 to 1921, we were fighting a war of independence. People wanted independence for Ireland. Uh, the arm of force from the British authority were the Black and Tans, and later on the Auxiliaries, who we should also mention. Uh, the Auxiliaries were an officer class. They were brought into the country in July of 1920 as a backup, uh, not alone to the Black and Tans, but more of a strike force where they were sent out to do and attack particular places. They were also extremely vicious. There are many stories of, and, and many bodies to prove, the murders that took place. Uh, murder was wholesale. Uh, women were sexually assaulted and abused. Um, and the church uh, condemned the women, never mind the island we lived in. If that happened to some poor woman, she was a fallen woman. Uh, so you can imagine all the issues that arise from it. And not recorded, and you can only interpret now from, say, the, the depositions in the Military History Bureau of what happened. You can only uh, uh, sort of try and understand, try and read between the lines of what was going on. And this was wholesale, and this was every day all over Ireland. In this area, it was relatively quiet, but we did have our casualties. Thomas Halpin, an alderman of the corporation, uh, Sean Moran of Enniscorthy, who a man living in the town, were brought to the Mash Road and murdered uh, and left dumped on the side of the road. A man found them there the next morning at half past six. Uh, that particular day, it's on the record that the Igo gang a special gang of the Black and Tans were, were operating in Drogheda because they were looking for somebody. But two innocent men, although they were Sinn Féin men and activists in that way, but they were murdered uh, innocently. They didn't, the information that was being told from them, they couldn't possibly have known. But they were left and left two young widows and young children behind them. Uh, each of them had one child. So that was the, the Black and Tan terror as far as Drogheda was concerned. Um, the Oxys, as I say, were even worse, but they were more seen in the southern areas where martial law was in place, and they were an officer class. And again, now they were paid seven pounds a week. Uh, Black and Tan was on three pound ten shillings, uh, and they also say that's why Collins paid his uh, squad a pound a day, so they would not be psychologically defeated by the axis and uh, so a wholesale war was taking place but as i say a very dirty war with atrocities on both sides and that's not excusing anybody but that's what was happening so i would say the black and tans the axis they were every bit as bad as they were painted yates put it half drunken whole mad soldiery that was his description mm. of them. and that's what was happening all over ireland the end when it came uh, and uh, they ran from 1836, the other 1838 as you said, up till 1920? 1921 Towards the end of its day when you say people were leaving wholesale because there were so many Irishmen in the RIC was there no law and order? Had it gone? You know, who who was policing the place? There was nobody, effectively. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a great quote, actually, from, um, you know, we, we then faced into the treaty, uh, which many Irish people didn't accept. And um, when the signatories uh, came back from England with the treaty, uh, there would be a civil war fought on the issue of it. But Ernie O'Malley, who was a very anti-treaty, said that when they came back from England, they should have all been arrested. But 
if they wanted to arrest them, who would have arrested them? There was no police force. Yes, I'm just do, uh, do, do you know, we thinking were, that. You know, yeah. as it, the, the force declined massively. Absolutely. The end was in sight. Yeah. When Westgate Barracks was vacated, it was vacated by the military, not by the, not by the RAC. They were already gone. Uh, so the, the, the police force effectively had disappeared. And it would be 1922-23 before we had a police force again with the establishment uh, of the Civic Guard, which became on Garda Shia I was just looking at the figures, which is interesting as well, uh, as that transfer happened, you know, of policing powers to the Guard, as you say, they be, uh, became known as 13 men from the former RIC transferred. 13 out of a force of, what would the RIC force have been oh, in the country? A, f- a force of about 16,000. 13 and 1,330 ex-RIC became members of the RUC in Northern Ireland, which is understandable that figure yes. is yeah. a bit larger. Yeah. Um, you know, here is something that has commemorations. You and I have talked about them since 2016 and we'll be talking about them again as we come this year, next year as well, especially in 2022. Where did this blow up from? (laughs) You have to ask yourself, how did it happen? Well, we're in the decade of centenaries. Uh, We're celebrating all the different historical events of that particular particular decade. I think this time round, in going forward with this notion, they didn't give real consideration to what they might be commemorating. You know, in all fairness, from 1836-38 up until 1918, they were the police force of the country, the DMP and the RAC. They found themselves in a situation in 1919 that they could never have allowed for. Uh, the, the British never thought they'd see the day. Michael Collins said he never thought he'd see the British gunboats going down the lee. You know, it, it was totally unprecedented. No one was ever expecting it to happen. Unfortunately, the, 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 the police became the tool of Lloyd George and pumping in black and tans and auxiliaries to join them, uh, made it collective. They had a collective title. They were all part of the same force. So I think perhaps it needs to be looked at again uh, before they go commemorating to establish exactly what they want to commemorate. I said I wouldn't put you on the spot, but here's the question. Will the commemoration ever happen to finish today, do you think? Or do you think that this is something that was, wasn't thought out properly? And we want to say there are victims on each side of a conflict. The, the victors tr- have victims, the they, vanquished have victims. There were atrocities on both sides and there's, there's a need for clarification. And uh, if we're to move forward on this, they need to, to look at it closely and clarify exactly what it is they intend to do. Sean Collins, we'll leave it at that today. Thank you so much for enlightening us on the whole composition of the force and who are involved, the OGSIs, the Dublin Metropolitan and the RIC. It's been fascinating. We will see you again in these historical years. Thanks, Sean. Thank you very much, Sherry. No need to remind you that that online space or the internet, as we used to call it, but all that goes on there at the moment is a huge part of life today. And there's a real worry, especially with youngsters who get mobile devices for the first time, their safety. How are they going to be? How are they going to manage? Are they resilient enough? Are they smart enough to cope? Well, there's a new app called Me, and it's been developed by Robin Grace, And it's aimed at making the internet and the online space safer and a more enjoyable environment for all. And Robin joins me on the line. Good afternoon, Robin. 
Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you very much for having me on this afternoon. Not at all. Thank you for taking our call. Where has this come from? Because your background is not uh, IT development or uh, apps. No. Um, I am a member of Ungarn Street Corner working in the West, in the west of Ireland down in West Clare. And um, I suppose that bringing both my professional uh, expertise and my uh, personal experience to to this app, uh, Jerry, it's, 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 as you said, it's an e- uh, call me and it's an e-safety uh, social networking platform that aims to educate young people on how to make better decisions on, uh, when they're online. And it's also uh, providing a, a number of different other functions, uh, again, aimed at making young people better decision makers and uh, connecting them with their friends and family that support them. And the education is going to come in the form of uh, illustrations, moving image, text and uh, um, animations to cover a wide range of learning capacities. And this is so that we can bring education to young people that they want to engage in and that's going to be accessible on their phone um, at all times. So they can always tap into it when and if they need it. And uh, when young people and uh, people in society connect with our friends and family, um, they get the support that they need. And Jerry, I was in a, a difficult period of my life a few years ago where I ended up in a suicidal crisis. Okay, and this was coming from an experience of uh, childhood sexual abuse, um, where in my adult years then uh, the pain became too much, and I just wanted the pain to go away. And the only solution that I could see was to take my own life. And I reached out to friends and family in this period, and what I found and what I learned was that support and my friends and family taught me that the world is a better place with me in it. And that's the message that I want to bring to young people, that they don't have to be alone um, and they don't have to go through a crisis on their own. And when I looked at the problem of um, online safety, because there's a number of organisations, I mean, quite a number of uh, organisations and businesses, about 700 plus uh, globally, that are trying to solve this problem and keep young people safe online. But year on year, the statistics are getting worse and uh, more and more young people are are in a crisis, whether it be a minor crisis of anxiety or seeing images or content that's upsetting, right up to more extreme uh, crisis like like suicidal thoughts and ideations. And... When I meet young people in my capacity as a member of Ungarda Shikona, not always can we apply legislation because it doesn't cross the uh, realm of uh, or the threshold of criminality. So I have to bring myself to uh, the table and, and try and advise and support those young people and those families through that crisis. So what I've done is I've brought all of what I've learned into one app and so that young people can engage in it. Like I said, at any time and it's in a form of a social networking platform because at the end of the day the internet and social media is a form of communication that young people want to be included in they want to engage in and now we have the education on their phones let me ask you this the app 
Emmy it is. Can it be downloaded? Is it? Uh, uh, let me say that again. Can you download it for free? Yes, it, it's in. Um, it, you can't download it at the moment because we're in demo stage. Okay. Um, so it is. Uh, going, once I have the funds, and I'll get to that in a second. Once I have enough, or once we have enough funds, we can build out the the app to the highest possible quality. Um, so we can put it uh, in place so young people can get access to it. And it won't cost. Um, That's your aim. That it won't be won't be a cost with this. No, there's no there's no download fee. There's no subscription fee. There will be no ads of any kind. Um, and uh, I, the users' information and data will always be protected. We will never uh, pass it on to a third party for any um, purpose whatsoever. Um, and the, why I'm, we're looking at developing it in this way is that I don't want to out-price anybody out of uh, education and also I want to I don't want to clog up a support service with ads and sponsorship okay. or, or anything like that yeah so that's very important pure, that's very pure service yeah. yeah okay so so here's the thing you will be saying then if somebody gets their first phone for example download me the content here is obviously it's age appropriate. Does it change with the age? Correct. Um, so it's once you put in your demographics, once the young person puts in their their age and what they're interested in, the app is then going to tailor the education uh, to them and to their their age and their their location. And this is really important because then we can uh, see what they're interested in provide the education that is going to be most accessible and most user-friendly to them. And not only are we going to say, you know, the education is also about identifying the risks and dangers that are online. So once Mm. a person knows what they are, then we can have a response to that. Because we can't control the internet for the uh, larger part. We can't regulate it in in any way that's um, useful right now. Maybe we'll get there in the future. But right now, there's no point in trying to control the internet. What we need to do is respond to it. And there's a difference. I think most people are reacting to uh, the internet at the moment. And when we, as a member of Anganshi Economy, we we go to uh, situations and we respond with knowledge. We're not called first reactors. We're called first responders. And we're very, we're very attuned or equipped to solve problems on our feet. And that's what I've been doing with young people when they come to me with a crisis. And what I say to them is, is come off social media to give yourself a breathing space. So that's one step that the app will, will give uh, a young person. It will give them the op- option uh, and the opportunity via a prompt uh, system to come off any social media for a period of time, whether it's 20 minutes or a couple of hours or a couple of days, to give themselves uh, the breathing space and uh, connect with friends and family. Now, here, here's the thing that, that I, I've spotted, because you sent me a lovely presentation with different views, screenshots of the different aspects of this, which mm. is in development, as you say, at the moment. So I download the app, I put in my details, I get involved in this community, and it, it tracks me. I see this. It, it, it'll, it can tell where somebody is. So say I'm feeling really bad today and something has happened online and I'm in a poor space. I can use this app to let me know that that's how I'm feeling. Will somebody respond to that? 
Yeah, so once you identify, and choice is a very big thing when you're in a crisis, and you need to feel empowered to make those positive decisions. And it's about social change. So once the app knows where you are and you've indicated where you are, um, you in, uh, both in your mental capacity and physical capacity, the app will then uh, suggest a response system. And one of the responses is that it'll send out an automated text to your very close private um social network on the me app that will indicate i'm not feeling okay can you give me a call or a text can can you you know so you're asking for help and you know that's that's one of the key key aspects is that people don't need to feel alone when they're in a crisis but what we're, and i want to just you know what we're doing now to solve the problem is that because parents and i am a parent and uh, as well and you know when we worry about our children in society we want to protect them as much as possible and one of our reactions as parents and as society we're saying once a young person comes into difficulty or you know they're engaging in risky or dangerous behavior online we say give me the phone and this is one of the problems that the what we're saying then to the, the child is that we don't trust you. We don't trust you with this communication system. And we're taking away your your um, your peer support. Because where young people are at today, they're communicating with their friends and family through phones and through technology. So we need to work with that rather than against it. And the MEAP nurtures that parent-child relationship. Because more than likely a parent or a guardian will be on your safe list, almost like a next of kin in in an emergency situation. And it's about nurturing that. So when you say to your child, I'm trusting you with this because your phone via the app will have education that I know that you're going to engage in in a way that you want to. And it's also going to give you the support to know that you, you can talk to me anytime if you have a problem. And if you don't want to talk to me, you can talk to a friend. And if you're in a, a, a more severe crisis and you need more help, that the app will also indicate and prompt you to connect with medical services and the local police service and other uh, community services like Childline or the Samaritan. So yes. you always have um, an option of help. And you talked about confidence and resilience at the top of the piece, uh, Jerry, and this is 100% one of the biggest learning points is that when we teach our children um, anything in life, and I'll take the example of uh, road safety, um, you know, the safe cross code. We wouldn't let a child out, you know, to go to the shops or go into town on their own if they didn't know how to recognise the danger and then know that they have the confidence and resilience to get to where they're going and come back again. And we can engage in pro-social activities or any activity that makes you feel good, teaches you how to succeed, how to fail, and most importantly, how to persevere. And all of this combined um, will teach a, a young person how to make better decision make uh, better decisions yeah. even when they're in a crisis. I, I see where you're going with this and I do like it. That's why I'm, I'm talking to you today and I see the potential in this and I see where you're coming at this from a, a totally different angle altogether. I suppose to say to you what you need to do is like the awareness you're creating today is create awareness and get 
this the me app as the go-to for somebody when they go on to the social media platforms now tell me this where are you with development what are you hoping for when will you launch Yes, so I'm in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign. And for anybody listening that's not familiar with Kickstarter, it's it's the business equivalent of GoFundMe. Yeah. Um, and it's a crowdfunding campaign. So instead of looking for one big investment, we're looking for many small investments um, and contributions um, so we can get to €75,000 by next Friday. Now, that seems like an awful lot of money, and it is an awful lot of money. But... What I want to, I'll explain what, I, what we're going to do with that amount of money is that it'll cost roughly about €20,000 to get this app to the best quality so young people will engage with it. It'll look and feel like any other social media platform. And this is where um, I suppose it's, it's, it's about getting engagement. And if it doesn't look and feel and... Uh, and operate like any other social network, then people won't want to use it because they're going to be unfamiliar with it. So it's going to be very smooth. And then the educational piece, I have to, because, like I said, my background isn't in this area, um, I have to outsource that. So the, the a lot of uh, the funds will go into specialist and educational uh, experts in this area and uh, people who will come on board and uh, develop the illustrations and moving image. That's going to cost a lot. And then the other side of it is the maintenance. And this is a very important aspect. That I need to maintain that because there's no uh, subscription fees or download fees or advertising on the, the app, it's going to... Um, we have to make sure that we have enough uh, funds to keep the app going because what we don't want is a young person using it, they get into crisis and something goes wrong and I can't I don't have the, the funds to um, Yes. I'm sorry, the, the, the me app company doesn't have enough funds to fix the problem. Mm. We always want to be able to support a young person in, in their um, in their journey and their, their uh, crisis if yes. it happens. Now the, uh, the, I have to leave it here, time's up against me the Kickstarter, do you want to mention that how people can yes. check that out? Yeah. Will you please go to meapp.ie, so that's M-E-A-P-P dot I-E. Uh, you will find a donate button at the bottom of the homepage, which will bring you to the Kickstarter, and that's where you can donate. I would urge and uh, ask anybody that says this is something for them, this is the solution that needs to be on the market um, for young people, that they go there and contribute. It's an all-or-nothing game. If I don't guess, if we, sorry, if we don't uh, raise 75000 by midday next Friday we don't get any of the funds um, already contributed they'll go back to okay so it it is an all or nothing scenario have to leave it there thank you for joining me on the show today delighted to highlight it Okay, take care. Take care. Bye bye. That's Robin Grace there uh, talking to us about this me app. It is very interesting. I've been through it myself. Will he get the funding? Well, let's see what happens. He's aimed high, but you hear why he needs the amount of money he does to make this a reality. But it certainly is a whole new approach to the whole area of online and safety and engaging and uh, dealing with crisis before they actually materialise. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio, heading to a short break. Combines for charity 
10th anniversary mega draw it's happening this Saturday the 11th of January at the Knightsbook Hotel in Trim the draw's at 8 o'clock followed by Shotgun Shanky and the Bullets dancing till late there tickets are 50 each or 2 for 90 euro and all proceeds are going to Bernardo's the National Rehabilitation Hospital and the local Gary Kelly Centre uh, prizes are fantastic 20,000 cash a Volkswagen T-Rock a Volkswagen Amarac lovely lovely prizes tickets are available they're still there from the Gary Kelly Centre or go to Combines their webpage Combines for charity and we wish them well with that Jerry, Leo or Charlie don't have the right to make a decision as complex as this without putting it to the Irish people to decide on there are far more important issues which need to be addressed such as the scandal in health and housing I hope these two guys get their comeuppance at the next election stop wasting taxpayers money on stupid projects such as memorials which was proposed time to stop apologising for being Irish says Jim this afternoon more of your comments on the beans on the uh, charity work of Ashling Lowe and uh, the RIC coming after three same old FAI nothing changes really doesn't you know what I mean they might say they're changing and they might issue apologies but listen to Michael there on the sports news you're probably not familiar with this Louise the League of Ireland two divisions Premier Division nope. there's a first division <laughs> In the first division, Limerick went bust this year. So rather than 10 teams, there's nine. Okay. Uh, Shamrock Rovers play in the top division. They won the cup last year. They're a club that, you know, the field of the Barcelona of Irish football. Um, anyway, they, they want to put a B team into the second division, a dud team, a team that can't win it or can't go up, but just participates. You know what I mean? So nine just of to them... To make up the numbers. To make up the numbers. Did you ever hear the likes of it in your life? Mm. It's absolute horseshit, I have to say. Sorry for using such shocking language, but it is. And it really is the same old FAI. It, it's in every aspect of the FAI. And the League of Ireland is another aspect of it. You know, Eamon Dunphy wrote years ago about the Chicken League, he called it, because it was sponsored by Pat Grace's famous fries, chicken it was a bit of a put down do you know what I mean right I still think it's the chicken league to be honest with you today when I hear things like this it's an absolute it's got your nonsense ah, anyway. well look and I'll tell you the league has to be run for all its clubs not just for one or two clubs you know put a beggar on horseback did you ever hear that saying that applies to a couple of clubs at the minute in the league to be honest with you and uh, they should remember where they've come from and their recent history as well when they make ludicrous decisions like this I hope the first division clubs stick together and take legal action and stop this because it's wrong. They should play with nine, have four rounds of games, you know, four eights, there'll be 32 games and they have a league as well. In England this year, Bury went out of football in one of the leagues. They didn't do anything. Each week a club doesn't have a game, you know what I mean? There's yeah, a club yeah. without a game and they just went with that. But it's the same old FAI, it's the same... <laughs> oh, don't it's get the me easy started way out on then, this. Is it? Honest to God, like... You know what? The people who are in there, you know, change is needed absolutely urgently. And with the new chairman coming in and the executive directors, I hope they see through this. And ultimately, really, the league, the League of Ireland, should be run by an independent body like the FA Premier League in England, not by clubs or sectional interests or where clubs make a race for themselves and try to just feather their own nests. It has to be a league for everybody. You're only as strong as your weakest. And they should keep that in mind. Soapbox over for today. <laughs> now let's come back to the beans. <gasps> beans and the League of Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't been. Anyway, the beans. <laughs> we talked about the opener, the can opener used to open uh, beans that hadn't got the, Manual, the yeah. ring pull. And somebody sent you in a picture of yeah, the Yeah, thanks, Mairead. I've got a picture, a nice picture of uh, one of those... 
can openers yes. that you talked about you earlier. you know what we're talking about now? Yeah, the I one do, that yeah. you, you give it a dud into you the lid and to. you turn it round and you want to watch not to cut the hand of yourself. Thanks indeed. Um, we, we had plenty of more comment about the beans. I see another one there. Uh, hi, Jerry and Louise. Uh, I opened a block of jelly uh, about a year ago and there was a mouse dropping Ooh. in the jelly. Uh, we sent it back and we got a block of jelly and a postage stamp back. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so funny, really? Um, and there were others as well, people. There are other people have had similar experience to me yeah, with the beans. Yeah, there's a girl here, Babs from RD, said uh, ambrosia rice. Yeah. Kids lunch size. Okay. She realised it was light, so she opened it and there was nothing in it. So she sent it back and she got um, a voucher. Uh, a fiver voucher and it cost three euro to send it. <laughs> there you go. Wasn't much of a gain in that on the rice front. Ashling Lowe, we were talking to her earlier on about the difficulty with putting together the uh, the packs for people who need them, the food parcels and a complaint mm. uh, by a neighbour in, in Trim where she lives. Um, where we a were, resident, uh, I think it was more so than a... Resident, sorry, I beg your pardon. A resident, a local resident. Breeda was on from Navin to say, whoever reported that lady, that is Ashling Lowe, have little to be doing, uh, that it may always stay fine for them because none of us know the day or the hour we'll need the food bank. Uh, Thanks indeed for that lovely comment uh, this afternoon. Another one in relation to Sean Collins and our chat about the RIC and the auxiliaries and uh, the Dublin Constabulary. Um, The Black and Tan, says Tom in Kells this afternoon, were turning a lorry at a lane in Lloyd. They tried to shoot my father's brother going about his business. Uh, Don't forget there were Irish lads wearing those English uniforms as well and Tom not happy, obviously, with the uh, idea of a commemoration yes and Sean mentioned that there were a lot of Irish people who were Irish men who were members of the RIC but it was fine when it was all Ireland and we were under the the control of Britain you know what I mean but all changed and changed radically in the early part of the 20th century for sure somebody else whatsapped um, Jerry, just to say 100% support for Ashling and she helps out when when she can Absolutely. She's a, a great, mm. great lady. And I don't think she's going to be stopped doing her wonderful work, just maybe from different premises. From somewhere else, yeah. if it has to be, is right. Final break of the afternoon on Late Lunch. Keith Russell, he has a goal for 2020. The toughest race in the world. We're going to hear about it next. 2019, my next guest uh, ran Dublin to Belfast, 107 miles. He completed Navin to the Phoenix Park. He did a 24-hour race in Victoria Park in Belfast, 24 hours. And as an aside, he ran the Dublin Marathon again. Keith Russell, you're some man for one man. Afternoon. How are you doing, Jerry? How's it going? I'm good. Oh, my, oh, my. Well, listen, all that will pale into insignificance in 2020. Tell them what your aim is. Um, on the 3rd of April, I'm flying out to Morocco to run Martin de Saab. It's, uh, it's six days in the Sahara Desert, so it's to run 250 kilometres across the Sahara Desert. Oh, so, oh, yeah. oh. It's six, six marathons in six days. Wow, that is some challenge. It is regarded, I know about this, uh, I've spoken about it in the past, as the toughest race in the world. It is indeed, yeah. Um, I think that's down to, it's down to a, a number of factors, but I think it's down to more the heat because it's going to be near on 50 degrees mm. out there at the time, so it's the hottest time of year out there. Um, but you have 1,100 runners um, and about 900 finish every year, so you've about 10% drop off um, every year running it. 
how are you going to replicate 50 degrees in this little island of ours? Or? <laughs> I think that's where we're at a disadvantage, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's just, I don't know, a lot of it's just going to be running the mountains just with loads of clothes on and sort of turning up the heating in the house. So I'd say the heating bill is going to be <laughs> fair, fairly costly. <laughs> <laughs> but look at you're a mighty man altogether and you've done an awful lot in the year past yeah so between now and April obviously seriously though this is going to be intense and you really are going to have to be well prepared absolutely like um, and it's not only the fact that I want to run across Sahara I'm looking I, my main aim is to be the highest ranked Irish person ever to run across do the marathon the Sab so I have to I have to do it it's, it's accumulative time so I have to do it under 27 hours and rank about near on about 20 to 21st in the field. Right, Okay. so under 27 and at least 21st to be the number one Irish man in this uh, of all time. What's your schedule like? What's your plans from today on? What are you at? How much training are you doing? Um, I do, I say at the weekends now I go up to the Wicklow and Dublin Mountains and I do a lot of running up there so I could be running about 40 kilometres up there. Um, and then during the week, I say, do a, I have a run strong programme as well, which is strength and condition, mobilisation, all that sort of thing. So that could be Sunday, Monday, running Tuesday, uh, run strong Wednesday. So my rest day is only Friday. But I, I could, and during the week, I could have double days training as well. Like I do a bit of running and a bit of uh, stretching and strength and conditioning and stuff like that. I'm going to fall off the chair with exhaustion here, even <laughs> listening to you. I'm ashamed when I think of what you're up to. But obviously with the training as well, uh, you need to rest, uh, you yeah. know, physically balance, rest with, with, with exercise. And food-wise, you must be eating like a horse, are you? Yeah, I want to. I, don't, I used to anyway, do you know what I mean? But at least I can do it now and run. So at least I have a reason to do it. But, um, yeah, it's, um, look, it's, it's, it is a big schedule and rest and recovery is a major part of it and it's eating good foods um, like I would. I, I'd eat very healthy um, and I, I don't take supplements or anything like that so I get a lot of my nutrients through food, um, chicken, turkey, uh, veg um, and then carbs obviously with rice and pasta and all that sort of thing. Your daughter, Alana, we remember her today and I know yeah. she's always with, with you because we remember talking to you. Remember you took her around the Dublin Marathon and she loved it so much and sadly yeah. she passed away. I take it she's your inspiration. Absolutely. Um, like I always credit Alana for everything that has been brought to me now um, because without Alana, I want to start running. So I basically started running to, to get, get her out of the house and get her integrated into the community and it was something that sort of it just took off um, and I always asked the question I asked said it before on your show about like I, I can I can never understand what it was what people just took us in and it was absolutely unbelievable um, especially like after running Dublin City Marathon we, we travelled the country running races um, yeah and then Alana passed away unfortunately um, after Dublin City Marathon 2017 but like Look, I, I could have went into a dark place and I did for a little bit, but it, it's not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to say, I wanted to keep going at what I was doing, what I was happy doing. And doing the stuff I'm doing now, you have to be happy with what you're doing. You have to be very confident in what you do. And you have to be in a good headspace because if you, I spend so much time running on my own, I could be running for four or five hours at a time. Um, and the thoughts that sort of 
build up in your own head. You're you're able to process it a lot better. And I find that myself that when I'm out that amount of time on my own, that I am able to process a lot better. I'm able to deal with it a lot better. And I just enjoy what I do. I know you too. We know you love it. And she'd have to love it to be heading to 50 degrees in the Sahara and six marathons day after day. But I know you and you're a man with a, on a mission, with a focus. And yeah. look, I wish you the best. We just wanted to let everybody know today what you're up to. Wish you the best over the coming weeks and months. And we'll much. keep in touch with you. You're away on the 3rd of April. And I'm sure yeah. we'll be talking as well while it's uh, ongoing. Good luck with the toughest race in the world, Keith. Thanks and thanks much. for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. The wonderful Keith Russell there. Marathon Disable, it's something else. Have a look at it and you'll see what's involved. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. That's a lot on late lunch this afternoon. And there's only one way to finish, isn't there? After talking to Keith, there has to be running the song. And it's my old favourite, Brian Adams. See you tomorrow. Have one. Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.